Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa. This is the reality dysfunction. Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto back again with a special episode of the reality dysfunction to talk about the uprisings in Minneapolis and across the country. On the heels of months of COVID-19 quarantine, just as states around the country, for better or for worse, were beginning to open up, Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin openly suffocated George Floyd, a black man, to death on the streets of Minneapolis on Monday, May 25th, in full view of dozens of witnesses and their cameras, and with the perceived impunity that most so-called law enforcement feels they deserve. Joining myself and Francisco Lopez today are Cruz Rodriguez and Dr. Serene Sada, both of Minneapolis. Also joining is Ernesto Ayala of the Raso Unida Party. We are going to start this by letting Cruz and Serene talk about what they have seen and experienced over the past few days. Let's get to it. Cruz. Sup, dude? Uh, you know, I, just hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, shit's crazy over there, homie. Yeah, dude, I, it is very unnerving. Oh, I bet. <laughs> different than anything else like this in terms of, like, police brutality. Things like, there's just something about it that just feels like this is going to play out very differently. I think that... Well, first of all, I just want to say, I've been in small, very small, compared to like what you're in the middle of, very small altercations that have happened between like police and protesters and stuff like that. Uh, never, never been in a full-blown riot. Never. Um, yeah. Like where buildings are burning and all that kind of shit. I haven't. So yeah, I can only imagine one. I mean, there's... Probably what's really crazy is that there's probably, and I, I can see how this would be, There's because when I see pictures of it, there's a part of me that thinks, man, that's that's really, like, those guys really got what they deserve. Like, this mm -hmm. is, like, that needs to happen. But then there's also a part of me that's like, wow, that's really happening. <laughs> you know, like, what the yeah. fuck? And there's, like, a really kind of, like, like, fucked up contradiction with it that, so, like, I'm working at Augsburg, and my boss and one of my students live in that neighborhood mm. and they're like their kind of like concern is like okay they're not getting mail all the banks are destroyed yeah all the local businesses are destroyed yeah. the targets destroyed so like they don't know how they're going to get access to these things so my big push now is to start that rebuilding process and organizing around the rebuilding of the neighborhood because yeah. you know, i personally know people there so like it's like crazy just to like, even if like you weren't directly affected and you're still able to be fine and live in that neighborhood, there are sirens going around. There are people all around, helicopters flying above, lights going off. Like there is so much commotion in that neighborhood that like, it's just impossible to like do anything. So like, that's kind of where I've been shifting some of my efforts towards now because uh, the verdict came out this morning about Chauvin getting charged with manslaughter in third degree third degree yeah so so their justification which is even worse is the officer that was involved in the shooting of the australian white woman i don't remember when it happened but 
he was charged with, with third degree murder and manslaughter. And that case is absolutely nothing like this case. That was the justification of like the charges they just said. So it's really kind of messed up that they're treating it the same as that case where she walked up on the car and startled them and he shot, which obviously is fucked up and he doesn't need to be charged. But this was, this was so intentional. Like you, he knew he was being recorded on his cam, on his partner's cam. Yeah. On the, there is no doubt that this was intentional. He knew what he was doing. You, you can't not deny that. Give a fuck. Yeah. Like, well, I, yeah. People this. were telling him to get off. They yeah. were telling him, "Hey, he's losing consciousness. We're watching this happen." So the the fact that they're trying to play it off that there wasn't an intent is just outlandish. Hey, what's going on, gentlemen? Francisco here, man. I'm out here in a uh, Southern Cali. You guys are mm -hmm. out there in a. In uh, Minnesota, is that right? Both of you out there? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I'm Cruz Rodriguez. Um, I was uh, I'm an alum of the Prescott College SGCO Master's Program. Um, I'm currently out in Minneapolis right now. Um, I'm a assistant director for a Trio McNair program at Augsburg University, um, and I'm just kind of here, starting to get involved with the organizers that are organizing here. Um, I've only been here for almost a year um, and in that time I haven't had a chance to really get super involved with the organizations and do some organizing so utilizing this um, utilizing this to kind of get involved out there and just starting to connect with the activists that are planning some stuff so uh, my name is Ernesto I'm, I'm here also Southern California in San Fernando Valley Pacoima I'm a member of La Raza Unida and I've been working with Professor Mireles on, with the Mexicanos 2070, and I'm also a member of uh, Telejaguar, which is a Chicano media platform we're starting up. Telejaguar, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, Serene? Yeah, this is uh, Serene Saade. I am a or community organizer and a community journalist in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, and I teach community organizing at Prescott College in Northern Arizona. Okay. I was hoping that maybe we could start with um, Serene and Cruz just kind of talking about what's been happening. Cruz, I know that you, you just got to Minneapolis not, not that long ago. Right. That you haven't been there last, for a long time. Yeah, last summer. So Last maybe. summer. But Serene's been there for years and has a, a, lot of, a lot of depth in that community. And so actually, you know, maybe we could just start with that, you know, with you two just kind of talking about your experiences and then I think after we've done that, we, we can come back in. I think one of the topics, like I put out in the email, is I'd really like to explore is, you know, one, how do we support street level protesters? Even more importantly, to lay down some sort of, I don't know if defense is really the right word or whatever, you know, for these types of, uh, these types of events, man, because I, mean, I have a feeling it's gonna be a long, hot summer. I mean, people are pissed. They don't got jobs. They gotta stay at home and the police is still choking motherfuckers out, you know, like for real. And on top of all that, you got a bunch of crazy ass white boys running around waving their guns in everybody's face. I mean, this shit is fucking nuts. So yeah, let's, um, but let's start with uh, Serene and Cruz. Either one of you guys want to go first? Uh, Cruz, I'll throw it to you. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, I was, I was excited to hear about your experience here. But yeah, I, so I've only been here for about a year. And I'm just starting to learn the layout of the city and kind of 
getting more historical context of what Minneapolis is. There is a history of police violence here. A lot of the organizers that I've been at rallies with and protests with have been from uh, families of victims who were killed by the police here. I mean, there's there's a, lot, a handful of them. And so there is a continual kind of push for these issues um, that have been happening. And this has just kind of been bubbling for years, it seems like, to this point. And uh, yeah, I um, was very impressed with the swiftness. This happened at like 8 p.m. on Monday night. And by noon on uh, Tuesday, there was hundreds of people at that intersection already gathering. And by five, it was like thousands. So it's been happening really swiftly. Like this has only been a week and there's so much that has happened. There are various protests happening across the city. So yesterday there was a large organized one downtown. There was a smaller one at the intersection of people paying respects. That was um, very much so calm, paying respects and just really kind of absorbing what's happened. And then they also have occupied uh, Mike Freeman's house in his neighborhood. And that's where I was most of the day yesterday. And they had speakers, organizers from New York come out. Uh, Linda Sassar was there. So they did a little mini organizing training on the side with people. There's Cruz. about- Cruz, who's Mike Freeman? Oh, so yeah. Mike Freeman is- That was gonna be my question. Mike Freeman is the district attorney of Minneapolis. And um, so it was an effort to apply pressure to make him make the call to charge the officers um, which he which he charged the one officer this morning in a press conference um, with third degree murder and manslaughter and so yeah we occupy uh, there was peaceful protest at Mike Freeman's house there's going to be another one today at 2 p.m. and then you got the, the third precinct area kind of closer to where the incident happened and that's kind of like ground zero for where all of the fires and rebelling has been happening and what you've probably been seeing in the news so yeah, there's a lot of different pockets of uh, action happening across the city from what I can tell. And also there's a, there's hundreds of, there have been hundreds of people at the former officer's house who murdered uh, George Floyd at his personal house out in Oakdale that have been just posted up there. But obviously his house is surrounded by cops, which is strange. So that was, that was gonna be my question, Cruz. What, what's been happening? What's been the action of the protest that you've attended? And also what has been the police presence like? Um, yeah. So at Mike Freeman's house, there was three squad cars, um, but they worked really well with the people in his neighborhood to allow for all these people to be there. There were two police officers like on the front porch of his house at the beginning, but the organizers pushed them away and said, we need you to go to your vehicles and get away. And they did. And there wasn't any trouble um, until there was a man who went up on the steps and was kind of writing on chalk on his steps. And three of the officers came back and tried to confront him. Someone else ran up, took his spot on the porch, a white man, and uh, kind of tried to defuse it. But we continued the speakers, but there was a large group of us that went right to that front yard and watched and made sure that nothing was gonna go down. Um, sure. One of the organizers announced like, hey, Again, like officers, there's no need for this. You need to go back here. Let us leave here peacefully. So it has been peaceful. With Good. All and now what has been the makeup of the protesters too, if I, if I can add? It is very, I will say, I guess the word diverse. Um, 
specifically at the Mike Freeman house, you can tell there's a lot of community members that were in that group from the area. So it's kind of this interesting balance of, okay, are you really here because you're concerned that all these people are in your neighborhood now? Or are you actually concerned about the issue at hand? And so we have been seeing a lot, a variety of people at these protests um, that's very, I don't know, there's just something about the Minnesota white liberal that is very different anywhere else, I'll say. Um, and it's very interesting to navigate that when um, talking with people about it. How do you, how do you mean? Like I, I, I have it being from the Midwest, yeah. I have kind of an idea <laughs> yeah. of what you're talking about, but like, yeah, what, yeah. what so, what's your impression? So, I mean, I, a perfect example. Um, I had a, a white woman that I know here uh, asked if I want to go protest with her. And this was on Tuesday. And, or no, when, I don't know what days. This was earlier in the week. And um, I just politely was like, I don't mean to sound rude, but like, I really am not comfortable attending these things with white people at, the at this moment in time. And I really hope you participate and contribute, da, da, da. And then her response was, well, that was very rude, but you do you. I don't see, uh, we need to not divide. We need to come together. And it's just like, so I just like ended that conversation. So like, it's like things like that where they are involved, but the intention isn't really there. And it's, or it's got to be on their terms. Yeah, yeah. It, and the willingness to continue to go after the conviction and to really look at the structural issues and not just this one case is isolated and we need justice for this case and then I can go back to my life kind of mentality is what I pick up on. Um, but yeah, so there are efforts now that are starting um, that no one's really talking about, about the cleanup and about supporting the communities that have been devastated by these fires and uh, the rebelling. So, because local businesses were lost, the people, I have students um, that I work with who live in that neighborhood and my boss lives in that neighborhood as well. And um, their concerns are very different than what we're hearing. Um, they may not have been directly affected in terms of like losing a business or anything, but they now are worried about where they're gonna get food from, how they're gonna access the bank, how they're gonna get their mail. Mail services can't go through that area um, at certain times. And yeah, like family members and relatives and friends who work at these places in the area that are now burned down, um, kind of their concern of what are they gonna do now? Um, and we were already in a pandemic where that was an issue and now this is just exemplified that. So I'm seeing more organizing efforts happening around that concept of rebuilding and fundraising for those communities. But I think we're still in the midst of kind of having our attention on the charges of the other police officers and things like that. But, um, but yeah, that's just kind of my, my personal experience of what I've been seeing. But um, I'd be very interested to hear from Serene about, because she's been here way longer than me, so I would imagine she's got better insight on things. Let's hear from Serene. What's your perspective? Yeah, so, yeah, so I am a journalist here in the Twin Cities. I run a very, very small community news organization. And so I've been kind of coordinating reporters for the past uh, week. And one of my reporters actually works for the corner store that had called the police on the man about the, what ended up being a counterfeit $20 bill. As all of this has been happening, I'm getting a lot of information. For example, today they arrested and charged um, Derek Chauvin, the former MPD officer. Um, and Minneapolis has successfully charged and 
one other officer in recent years um, after the death, actually a black officer after the death of a white woman. So Mike Freeman is kind, kind of weighing on that a lot right now. Uh, and I did take a drive through St. Paul and Minneapolis today just to get a sense of what's been lost and what remains and also just look at the number of businesses boarding up. Um, it was less about trauma tourism and more about I'm trying to create a list of all of the community resources that have been lost. For example, uh, McGizzy Communications, which is native-owned, family-owned communication center and news center and media center. Their building burned down. Uh, Springboard Arts um, had a new space uh, also damaged by fire. Um, Cladig Coffee was was damaged. Uh, my dad's own business in, in, in town is destroyed. And so there has been a lot of that. But I also think, I mean, this is, this is going to happen and it is happening and it's happening for really because there's been protest after protest after protest after death after death after death. I was in the Mall of America four years ago in a completely peaceful 100% nonviolent protest after the death of uh, Jamar Clark, I believe. And the Mall of America shut down, locked people into the stores as if um, this was going to become some violent thing. And Nothing happened after the death of Jamar Clark. Nothing happened after the death of Philando Castile. So the both the nonviolent protests and the uh, more violent rebellion that's happening right now are signs of a community that's been in distress for a very long time and that it's happening because nothing has been happening and this is what's happening because nobody else has listened. And in many ways, and as somebody who is a predominantly nonviolent activist, it, the, what's happened has worked. This is the shortest time to charge an officer in um, Hennepin County history. Um, it took four days to turn around charges were with um, Mohammed Noor, who was charged with killing um, Justin da Justine Damon. It took um, several months to get charges turned around. Uh, I, I mean, it, they, people, they got their attention. I and think um, just you, you, sir, so you've lived there longer. What have you noticed there about the Twin City area? You know, what is the relationship like between the communities? I mean, I see that um, it's about 65% uh, Caucasian, right? About 20% yeah. African American, 10% Latino. Well, what's the interaction like there between communities? So, I spent the last 10 years working in and out of a community, uh, North Minneapolis. So where uh, George was uh, murdered was in South Minneapolis. I, I worked out of North Minneapolis and North Minneapolis has had its share of black men murdered by cops. And many of those cops never got away with anything um, or got away with everything. What we're, I mean, I, I really think that this notion of Minneapolis being this liberal city is a, um, I don't want to swear, so let's just say it's a rumor. It is not. It is, I think we have a lot of very powerful progressive communities on the ground, um, but I think overall Minneapolis is this sort of um, straight-edge liberal city that, you know, isn't going to be cool with any of this. And, and to be frank, that's where my concern is. We don't have a system set up in place to help so many of the black, indigenous, and POC owned businesses and POC-centric communities recover from what's happened here. We don't have the uh, 
relationship with our city council um, and with our mayor where we trust these people to help us recover from this. I think that there's going to be a lot of anger directed at our communities, even when our communities were not the people who, for example, if you saw um, there's been posts from different businesses where they caught looters and the looters were uh, white men and white teenage boys. So there is a lot of people taking advantage of the opportunity to cause more harm and more trauma towards our uh, black, indigenous, and POC um, communities. And there's not a system in place to protect them once we get past this. And I, I don't think the riots um, and the rebellion are going to end anytime soon. I think we can expect them to continue on until either they just burn out or until something actually happens to stop them in their tracks. But I don't think the thing that's going to stop them is going to be some overwhelming system change. I think it's, it's going to be violence from the state that would stop it. What about other, other um, are there seen any in, you know, what we just seen in Michigan a couple of weeks ago, right? Where we had some militia style uh, community members come out. Are we seeing anything like that in Minneapolis where you're seeing a, a group that may be in support of the police department or uh, against certain communities? Are we seeing any of that? Yeah, um, we're hearing that the Proud Boys were on Cedar Avenue, which is a major thoroughway in Minneapolis uh, last night. There were rumors on the police scanners about men with AR-15s who had come up from Texas. I'm not hearing anything from on the ground of kind of proof of any of these people's presence, but I wouldn't be surprised when organizers occupied the 4th Precinct in North Minneapolis after Jamar Clark was murdered a few years ago, several protesters, a few different nights, several protesters got shot by white nationalists who came to protest the occupation outside of the 4th Precinct. I also wouldn't be surprised if, and I, I don't mean to be a rumor monger, but it's also my, my contention that there are white nationalists in the crowd who are causing a lot of the violence that's happening. Because I've been a organizer in the Twin Cities for 10 plus years and I've lived in the Twin Cities since I was nine and I'm 32 now and there's never been my understand my understanding of the community has never been one that would lead us to this we've always I mean the conversation that's been overwhelming in the Twin Cities for the two years before all of this has happened has been about how do we create healing structures how do we develop socioeconomic cooperative businesses how do we create our own systems while we take on the bigger system. So the idea that all of that can be burned down kind of figuratively to lead to these little burnings does not feel in line with the Minneapolis, you know, social justice community that I know where there is a lot of deep anger, but that anger we've learned to funnel it into ways that help us build towards the world we're trying to build rather than just um, kind of create havoc uh, for the sake of creating ha havoc. But it does explain the level of uh, provocateurism that seems to be going on in, 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 in Minneapolis. Because I mean, if, if that's what the conversation, I mean, if the conversation is revolving around um, mutual aid and, and you know, community development and building institutions outside of you know, mainstream institutions, I mean, those are essentially um, and deeply radical ideas that are uh, very often, I mean, it's, it's hard to, um, inculcate those into communities, right? Because we're, you know, taught like as oppressed people to really think about the government and, you know, how we can 
interact with the government in a way that forces them to give us our civil rights and to, you know, uh, recognize us as human beings and citizens and, and all that. So, I mean, it, it does explain, I think, like the YouTube video that I saw earlier, and basically they're like, this is the guy that started the riot. And it's this white guy walking around all blacked up with a gas mask on, and he's just walking by a the- police issued gas mask. Well, he's, 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 he's a cop. Yeah, he's a cop. Yeah, St. Louis Police Department, yeah. or not St. Louis, St. Paul, the police department made a statement saying yep, he, Jacob uh, he wasn't the one, but. Oh, he's the one. I don't oh, believe yeah. them. Yeah, no. Yeah, they're, they're lying. The police department right now. <laughs> so they're they, lying. They, yeah, they're absolutely lying. So what I find fascinating about moments like this is how quickly they slip into sort of a ahistorical context, you know? And um, people are all like, well, there was this explosion of anger. And it's like, no, there was not an explosion of anger. There was a long simmering boil that eventually got over the top of the pot, right? Like that's yeah. because there's all these things, all, all the men that you just um, talked about or gotten got through talking about serene i mean all of those things add to this to this moment mm -hmm. certainly the way that man died was horrific and the absolute disregard that that police officer had for him and in the look of disregard that he had in his face for everybody that was around him mm -hmm. i mean those those are the sorts of crimes that that have to be answered yeah i think i think that that part is is really interesting the sort of a historical nature of explaining um urban rebellions so one of the things I've been I've been having a reporter's block this week. It's been a struggle to to be a journalist in this time because my natural inclination is to go stand with the people who are struggling, and it's hard as a reporter to have to step out of that and look at that big picture sometimes. So today I started making a list as a reporter of all of our local community spaces, Black, Indigenous, and POC-owned businesses, nonprofits that really serve the community in a really real way, not in the sort of non-profit industrial way where they come in and they try and just perpetually make it worse. And I, I just started making a list of all of the businesses that were lost. And I also looked at a list of businesses that were lost on the first night of the, of the riots. So the night before versus last night, we went from a night of Target and Apple and Lululemon and all of these businesses getting um, hit, uh, whether for fire or uh, for art, like for arson or for um, vandalism or for theft, to last night Gandhi Mahal, an Indian restaurant in town, which is so powerful in terms of the food justice movement, which provides garden space, which uses local farms in its work, and La Raza Radio, which is a Spanish language radio station here in, in Minnesota, the only one in Minnesota that's Spanish language, too. Springboard Arts, which had a new, I mean, I mentioned all these, but all of them suffered last night. It was interesting because the night before, businesses that were predominantly black owned or that had put signs on the doors like abolish the police were left alone. And yesterday night, those businesses, even if they didn't have those signs out, were the ones that were, were hit per predominantly. What about uh, the mayor? Uh, I believe his name's Jake, Jacob Frey, right? What do you, what yeah. Do you What's the story with him? I mean, to me, it was interesting to hear that he said he called for the police to basically back away and literally let the building burn. What's the deal with him? What's the story with him? Yeah, so um, Mayor Fry, 
I'm going to be, I'm going to be very biased for a minute and, and just put this straight out here. He has failed in so many different ways, not just now, but over his time, I think, um, two and a half years, maybe three and a half years that he's been mayor. I'm not, not quite sure. I, sh I should also give some context. Minneapolis has a really weak mayoral system when it comes to uh, the police. And our city council has almost no power over the Minneapolis Police Department. We also have an incredibly powerful police union that is headed by known white supremacists. And in fact, the head of the police union is married to a reporter uh, from a local mainstream channel. So there is a lot of power set up against people trying to organize around um, police brutality and just systemic police issues within Minneapolis. But at the same time, at two in the morning last night, me and about half a dozen other reporters on Twitter were saying, why are we only hearing from the mayor now? And in fact, it was one in the morning. Why are we only hearing from the mayor now? The city had been on fire since 4 p.m. in the afternoon after the decision was made yesterday not to charge um, and before, obviously before today's decision. I mean, um, I think it's interesting that he called for them to abandon the third precinct. I am grateful that he called for all four officers to be charged and arrested, but I still think there's been a failure on his part to stand with communities that are struggling and to understand that this is not a one-time only riot, but that this is um, a rebellion that has a long history and that things have been leading up to this, even if, as I said, they're heading in ways that I didn't expect because of all the pro provocateurs that are participating in, in making things worse. I mean, I think he's failed on a number of levels to communicate with people openly. I think he's failed to show up for people. And I think he's done such a good job of being on CNN and MSNBC. But we haven't, as a community, been able to find him or reach him or ask questions. There was a period of about four hours last night in Minneapolis where people were wondering who is in charge right now because we couldn't find the police chief because he was on the news, um, national news, and we couldn't find the mayor because he was on national news. People started, in fact, tweeting CNN, give us our mayor back. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ernesto, I, I thought I saw you get ready to ask a question a minute ago. Did you want to say something? Oh, well, I was, you know, just going to just comment on the on the fact that, you know, they, a lot of that stuff, you know, a lot of, like, she was, was explaining how the first night, you know, uh, basically corporate were targeted and the second night it was more actual community owned businesses and, and uh, institutions. And, you know, with what we're seeing with police agents or white nationalists provocateurs, I mean, you know, we can't put it past them that they're the ones taking advantage. Like she was like, they were explaining, you know, like she was explaining they're the ones taking advantage of the situation to do this, yeah. you know, cause we've seen it before. I've seen it at demonstrations before, you know, where, where some guy tried to get a group of us to do stuff and then, Right after, because no one paid attention to him, he was, you know, laughing and hanging out with the cops and left with them, you know. And so, yeah, you know, I was just going to comment that. Yeah. <laughs> there was um, an activist who spoke at the protest at, at Freeman's, uh, Mike Freeman's house, who said that the quote-unquote looting that initially happened that first night wasn't looting. This, uh, there, there wasn't all of these there that actually should talk to the manager and said, can we take supplies for the people that are getting tear gassed and, mm. and shot at? Um, so it started with them getting supplies from some of these stores. And yeah. that, yeah. 
I did hear and like that. And also some of the stores oh. banning people. Like Target wouldn't let people Target, in to get yeah. supplies. And that's where yep. a lot of that aggression towards Target started. And that's why so many of the protests right now are happening in things like Target park, parking lots. You know, I just, I woke up today or since last night and we've been seeing, uh, you know, I don't know what the validity of them are, but pretty incendiary tweets by by the, the orange guy. You know, what, what's up with that? So a court, um, Governor Wall called a press conference at 10.30 this morning or thereabouts, um, and he mentioned the tweets. He had talked about, um, he had spoken with number 45 last night, kind of earlier in the evening. Again, Governor Walls is another person where we were wondering, where is he? This was around one in the morning. It had been hours since we'd heard from the, from the governor. So along with the mayor and the police chief, we were wondering who's in charge um, because nobody seemed to be. And he goes, you know, uh, the tweets were incendiary. We don't know. They're not helping. And, and, I, and I do agree with him. But the tweets, um, I, I, I think the last line of one of the tweets was, um, uh, if they start looting, we start shooting. Mm -hmm. And it was actually compared today to tweets he sent about um, the occupation of the Michigan Capitol by white supremacists with AR-15s a few weeks ago. Um, I think that it's dangerous, but I also think that enough people in Minneapolis don't care for anything that he has to say that we're paying attention. Um, because, I mean, to be frank, most of the people I know haven't blocked and only hear about it because we're talking about it and, and don't pay him much mind. I do think that he is the kind of person who would send in a show of force, uh, but I don't think it would help his cause at all to do so. Yeah, I, I don't think it would help it either. I, I read just since we're talking about this, because I think, I think that we could see in the coming weeks that this might actually be a bigger deal than, I mean, this thing, how this thing plays out with Trump, it might be actually a bigger deal than we really think about it right now, or that in the way that we're thinking about it. But this uh, columnist was writing, and basically his article said that uh, Donald Trump has never lost at anything, right? If you ask him, he will tell you he's never lost at anything. And so point that this guy was making was this, is that all of this seemingly erratic behavior that we're seeing, like all of this like craziness that's coming from Trump, may in fact be his way of setting up the fact that in November, he didn't lose, even if he loses. He didn't really lose because there was voter fraud. There was this, there was that. I think that, and I've never, I mean, I've never thought this before in my life, but this is the first time that I can see, even like from the 60s, like looking at it historically, where I think that somebody who's the president may actually use a situation like this to suspend an election or to um, declare martial law across the country. We're going we're gonna to send them in, you know, if the looting starts, yeah. the shooting starts. Um, and, and I don't think it's about his voter base. Like everybody's all like, oh, it's by, you know, it's about his voter base. I don't think it's about his voter base. I think that when he says that I'm the most powerful person in the world, that he really, really, he's just like, I'm the most powerful person in the world. And if I want to stay president, I'll just stay president, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think that this one's going to be interesting and not just in Minneapolis, but I think across the whole country, because it yeah. really appears to me that um, 
this summer in particular, especially as coronavirus deaths and infections uh, skyrocket again, because nobody's fucking listening about social distancing, um, there's, there's going to be some more stuff that happens like this. And, you know, I want to tell you, and I know you guys, maybe you agree with it, maybe you don't, maybe you know it's true, you know, but you can only take your gun to the Capitol so many times before you fucking shoot somebody. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's just all there is to it, you know? And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that they want to shoot somebody or that's, but you can only take your gun there so many times before somebody gets fucking shot. And well, so, you, know, you know what I think is interesting about your comment, Ernesto, is that if Trump was allowed to keep uh, power, it would have to be through the backing of the military, yeah. which clearly has their support. And he clearly, you know, supports their business. And then it ties into what's, you know, going on right now, our, our topic, you know, with uh, police brutality once again. And I think also the other, other thing that's interesting that I found about Minneapolis was there's a lot of uh, corporate headquarters there in Minneapolis. So it's a stronghold. Yeah. Target three. Yeah. Well, they call it the Minneapolis, don't they? Isn't that what they call it, Sari? They have like yes. some of the most, like the most yeah. Fortune 500 companies, like yeah, something like that. Yeah. I think there's also the fact that people are rebelling in the middle of a global pandemic, hmm. and South Minneapolis, as well as North Minneapolis, which also had its share of um, both riot and rebellion last night, um, communities that are predominantly uh, Black, Indigenous, and POC. I mean, they are not communities that are privileged, let alone overly privileged. Um, these are not communities that have a lot of resources to their name. In fact, there's been a lot of artwork done about Lake Street, which runs from um, right when you get into Minneapolis all the way, and you literally move from the poorest neighborhoods in Minneapolis to the richest neighborhoods in Minneapolis within a few miles. And the same with university. On one end, you have the University of Minnesota. On the other end, you have the state capitol. And in between, you have poverty. You know, and you have a community that's really struggled to get its feet. And now you have the fact that these riots are, don't involve, all, there's been attempts at social distancing, yeah. uh, but that's not happening. And we haven't even reached our peak yet. Um, so what is this going to mean? And how is this going to further traumatize these communities that are already going through this? And how are we going to care for people once... Um, two weeks from now, once people are starting to get sick, and the protesting isn't going to just end right away. So how are we going to keep people safe once that passes? I mean, I think Minnesota had been kind of on track to do a lot of um, like lowering the curve and flattening the curve. And I don't think we can say that anymore, because I think that um, in the same way that our Black, Indigenous, and POC communities were most impacted by COVID-19 kind of side effects, things like um, amputations because of diabetes a few weeks ago, yeah. it's, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, the fact that this is essentially considered like the first large gathering of the summer in the city, people are really taking advantage yeah. of the fact that, oh, well, might as well go out. Everybody's kind of going out. So, like, those numbers are reflective of that kind of mindset, too, that, like, we've been locked up all, 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 or all spring, and this is an opportunity for us to get out there, but that's problematic obviously and, and um, i think i think uh you brought up a good point also you know that in in the middle of a global pandemic this is happening in the heart of the united states 
you know, and, and the fact, I mean, I, the, the thing, I, it, it makes me, I don't want to say laugh, you know, but it makes me, like, it, it just doesn't, you know, go past me. The, the fact that, you know, the, all, I mean, they are, they're always doing it, but all, all throughout the, from the beginning of the year till now, you know, you are seeing, you know, U.S. media talk about, oh, look what's going on in Venezuela. Oh, look at China and the Hong Kong protests. Oh, look at this and that. And, and oh, you know, the protests in Nicaragua, they're, they're demanding their freedom and whatever. And, um, and, and the way they, they, uh, they report on this is, I mean, it's totally like, you know, what's going on here? I mean, you're, you're saying this about something that it's really, it's made by the, by, you know, you, the United States is made up, you know, all these protests in Venezuela or Nicaragua or, or even the Hong Kong protests and the, and the support they've had from, from the United States, you know, and but what's going on here, which is actually, you know, a, a just rebellion by people, you know, they, they, the, their, their way of, their manner of reporting it or even ignoring it is just, uh, it's amazing, you know, and, and I mean, and even the fact that, you know, uh, like, it's the, like that, you know, yeah, people are, 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 you know, they're, they're, I guess, frustrated. The whole world is frustrated that we're, you know, supposed to be, you know, for the most part, uh, a lot of us are, you know, following the, the, we have to, you know, the, the quarantine and all that. I mean, of course we're frustrated, but you're seeing you're seeing this playing out violently in the United States. It's, this is not happening in other countries. I mean, despite you know whatever contradictions or inequalities they might have, you know, it's the for the most you know people are 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 following it, you know. But this is is showing the deep contradictions in the United States that are that are tearing it apart. And I mean, I think that's the way we need to understand this historically and and globally. You know, th- this is. This is what happens in the United States. The United States is not this bastion of democracy. It is not this example of freedom to the whole world. It's an immense hypocrisy. You know, the, the fact that, you know, uh, uh, these guys uh, with, with rifles and AR-15s and AKs and who, there was a picture of a guy with a rocket launcher, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> they, could, <laughs> they could march into government buildings, armed, shout, push police, harass workers, uh, uh, block traffic, harass, you know, medical staff. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> they could do all that without any repercussions. You know, they're breaking the rules. They're breaking the law. They're breaking the quarantine. And, you know, where was the police response? Where was, you know, uh, you know, we didn't mention this here, you know, but, what, you know, where was Trump saying, you uh, know, they, they, we shoot or, or whatever, you know, uh, you know, where was the, the extreme aggression by the authorities towards these people? It's not there. Yeah. You know, but but to, yeah. you know, to to people that are that are demanding, saying you know you murdered a human being, you know oh well you're you're tearing up a target, Come, you know the, <laughs> that's well, the way know, the media, you know. I'd have to say, it, Ayala, is that it's a credibility issue. You're definitely speaking about that credibility issue, yep. and I, I think you know uh, Trump definitely is the the face of that credibility issue. You know, and I think as a as Ernesto was saying earlier too, you know, what happens at this uh, election at the end of in November is definitely going to lead to that, right? It's either going to validate it or it's just going to emphasize more the lack of credibility that we have in account to it. And, and I, again, all over uh, uh, talking about credibility, this this was all about forgery, right? Is this yeah. mm-hmm. a $20, which I will say as somebody who, who owns a business with my dad and my brother and my mom, 
it, we have to call the cops every time we get a forgery bill. We don't call the cops on the person who gave us the forgery. You call the cops on trying to find out where the forgery bill came from. And so, uh, and and I know I sound a little defensive of the business that called the cops, but only in that um, they they're Arab and they've re received so many death threats. But I also know that they're calling the cops because it's we're required to call the cops when we get a forgery bill. Like that is a it's a, a stipulation to have our business license that we call when we get forged bills. And so all of this is starting because of this law that requires, you know, basically people of color to call the cops and other people of color. And, and I think that that's also terrifying. I also don't think that this week's riots are the last riots we're going to see this year. No. Um, I really do think that uh, after the election, we could see some really terrifying stuff. Oh, I think we'll see plenty of terrifying things uh, right up to the election. I think that the points that Ernesto was bringing up a second ago are, are really good ones. I, I think that one of the one of the main things that that we fail to do as people of color in this country is that we fail to understand we have nominal citizenship or presence here. In other countries, I think Hong Kong is a, a really good example, right? I mean, so I mean, Hong Kong protesters are fighting for their freedom. Okay. We're not fighting for our freedom here, you know, uh, but we're not. We're fighting for our civil liberties, right? Mm. I mean, we we're do fighting it for our lives in some cases. Well, I mean, I think we're fighting for our lives and I think we're fighting for our freedom. But when we talk about it, the rhetoric we use is all around our right to do this or our right to do that, yeah. right? It's, uh, mm -hmm. we, we and until we figure out how to rearticulate the struggle in the terms that it was being articulated in, you know, 40 years ago, right? Because, I mean, we can all make fun of the 60s and the, and the 70s if we want to, but there were liberation movements that were happening in the United States at that time, mm -hmm. right? What are we doing now? Oh, that's right. We're arguing over, like, you know, what it is that I call myself. Do I use an X at the end of the, the word or not? I mean, this is, this is what we've been reduced to, right? Yeah. Through... Yeah you know, sort of this like neoliberal identity politics. I yeah. mean, and so what if we stopped saying my identity, my personal identity is the most important one of all and started saying we have a, to develop a group identity, right? Like we have to figure out how we answer back as a group these uh, deprivations this government and the police, I mean, the, the police kill whoever they want to. I mean, we all know that, right? Everybody knows that. The police kill whoever they want to. I'd say the U.S. So kill whoever they want to. I mean, if you think about it, the use of drones in Obama. Yeah. Honestly, come on, yeah. let's, let's put it out there because I think that's part of it. You know, and it, these are these little uh, bubbling pockets of hot spots but you know once we look at the bigger picture that's what we're doing Nate, uh, across the globe and we're fucking arguing about who we're gonna vote for in november you know mm -hmm. i mean and, and don't get me wrong i mean i ain't gonna try to be a hypocrite when i say that i am gonna vote in november right but i will also tell you this this is the last time i'm ever gonna vote for a democrat or a republican it's the last time and I will never do it again, because the, I mean, look at look at the choices. The choices get worse every year. They get worse mm -hmm. every year. Now yeah. they're not going to do it anymore because it's not about 
it's it's not about me wanting them to treat me better because I deserve to be treated better as an American citizen. I mean, that's just that's not what it's about. It's bigger than that. So the question I like to follow with for uh, both Cruz and Sinan, so us that, uh, those of us that are on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and every other point in between, what can we do? What do you see? You're there in Minneapolis. Yeah. What can we do? What's the truth where we can truly, you know, collaborate and join forces with you all? Oh, God. There's, so there are, I mean, there's the usual financial support. Um, not to the usual organizations, groups like the Minnesota Freedom Fund have received so much in donations over the past three days and four days that they're actually uh, turning away donations at this point. Um, there are groups like Black Vision Collective, I'll have to send the information to, to Todd, that, that could use support. There's also, um, as I said earlier, our community-owned businesses that are struggling. Springboard Arts is going to need money to be, rebuild. Gandhi Mahal, these communities that are owned by us, um, bookstores, coffee shops, um, gathering places, radio stations, media organizations, they're going to need help. So being, even if you can't donate, putting the shout out that these are the groups that need help, they could use it. I know that all of us are strapped. If somebody is the ED of a small nonprofit, we are strapped and we are struggling. And and this is not something that we knew to build into our budget. And, this, and what it is, what we're trying to deploy as many resources as we can towards it. I know that people are going to be struggling with food because North Minneapolis is already a food desert. South Minneapolis is uh, now a food desert since all of the major food spaces, all the grocery stores are, are gone. They're going to need help. So donating to local food shops. So there's a group called um, Isarun, which is run by black women and specifically Somali women. They have a food shelf. Uh, the Brian Coyle Community Center, they're going to need some help. Brian Coyle is owned by Pillsbury United Communities. Pillsbury United Communities provides free meals to people. I have a number of food shelves, a number of resources. They could use your help. Even if you can't donate, putting the word out. Uh, we don't need organizers to come into the Twin Cities right now. We've had, we have had people come in and try and support the organizing. We don't actually need that. That's not going to help right now. Um, that's actually going to distract us from the work of doing the rebuild, which is what people are doing every day. Right now on Lake Street, right now in University, on areas of Snelling, people are, are sitting there cleaning up, helping rebuild businesses and also putting wood up in the businesses that remained to help protect them and keep them safe. I mean, again, because these riots are, are not just rebellion, they're also riots where they're anarchists kind of coming in and provocateurs kind of coming in and wanting to throw this onto the black indigenous and POC people who are fighting for their lives and their civil liberties and, and for their freedom and all these things. There's a, a real need to put that narrative out there and be strong in standing for that narrative in supporting the businesses that remain um, and in supporting the businesses that are rebuilding and giving to the food shelves what you can. Uh, a $10 donation to a food shelf can go so much more, so much further than 10 cans of food to a food shelf. It, let them do what they need with the money, support the people that are around, call, keep calling the DA, tell them to charge the three other men, um, whether accessory or dereliction of duty or whatever else keep calling them. Even now, uh, William Barr has announced that they're being investigated for federal civil rights crimes. Keep calling, keep calling for that. Call for hate crimes, call all those, everything at the most that we can so that we, because we're not going to get everything we want so that we can get something. And that was going to be my, my last question for Serena and Cruz. What are your actions? What, what are your plans for later today? You know, for you guys, it's not about tomorrow. 
It's for right yeah. now. What's what's your plans for the rest of the day? I've been debating with this because yeah, I, I got to be realistic with the COVID thing. I'm not going to be able. I'm not going to be exposing people to it, or I don't work in close proximity to people. But I'm I'm going to probably go back to Mike Freeman's house today because that space that I experienced was what what really needed to be saw. There was no news stations there, absolutely none at his house, which was very surprising, or not surprising, but I probably will do more of that, bring supplies to them as well. Um, but yeah, I think right now my big focus is, is getting supplies to the food shelters, to the businesses, to the medic stations, um, because that's kind of like, yeah, what we need right now. And then yeah, doing the calls constantly every day, sending those emails every day, um, city council, district attorney, like just Annie and everybody and flood their phones because it's been working. The few times I've called, most of those lines have been full or mailboxes have been full and can't leave a message. So, yeah. Appreciate your efforts. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you, Serene? Yeah, so, um, well, right after this, I'm on KFAI, which is a local media channel on kind of special coverage, doing a 15-minute update um, on that show. I'm also working on my radio show on WFNU next week, trying to get that prepared, um, trying to put together the stories of this week. Um, I got a lot of people in a lot of the grocery stores in Minneapolis-St. Paul are, are closed. Um, the ones that aren't damaged that are closed are shutting down. I know the Whole Foods, um, which uh, Whole Foods, but they are shut down when I passed it today. Um, a lot of the other stores, so I'm delivering groceries for a lot of people who can't leave. Um, I am immune compromised um, uh, because of a uh, cancer-related issue, so I don't um, – I'm limited in how much I can get out and leave and travel and my mom is too. So I am really having to step away from the protest today and try and keep myself safe and healthy so that I can keep the people around me who I care about uh, both in community and my family safe and healthy. So I'm uh, going to deliver groceries for people. I'm going to distribute some supplies to different families who are impacted. And I had, um, I have a former mentor's house who, has got a lot of smoke damage because they were close to Minnehaha Liquors, which had a horrible fire and they were across from the third precinct. So he and his family are leaving the house because of the smoke damage temporarily. So going to go help him get, get his stuff out of the house. Serene, if you need help with any of that kind of stuff, like, please let me know. Um, I am mobile. So I do have a car and the ability to move around. Well, I definitely will let you know. Um, I have your Facebook yeah. information and your email. So thank you. Yeah. You guys, I want to also tell you that, I, you know, be careful while you're out yeah. there and wear your mask and, uh, you know, just pay attention to what's going on around you. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a volatile situation. And, and, and I care for both of you very deeply. And I mean that. So, you know, just, uh, Thank you. yeah. Yeah, okay. be safe. All right. Be safe to all of you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You. That's all we have for now. Here at the Reality Dysfunction, we support freedom fighters in all their manifestations and encourage you to do so too. Remember, COVID-19 ain't the only thing killing our people. Until next time, stay safe and maintain unity between we, the people. Hey homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa, rasa, rasa. This is the reality dysfunction.